Welcome to Radio Curious and the second of a two-part series on why police in the United States kill more citizens than in any other developed nation. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Our guest is Professor Franklin E. Zimring from the Law School at the University of California at Berkeley. He is the author of the 2017 book, When Police Kill. In part one, Zimring discusses why police killings are such a serious problem in the United States. He asserts it is in large part because of the widespread ownership and use of handguns, which increase the vulnerability of police to life-threatening assault. If you missed part one, you may visit radiocurious.org. Here in part two, Zimmering explains how the problem of police killing can be effectively controlled without major changes in the performance or the effectiveness of police. When Frank Zimmering and I visited by phone from his office in Berkeley, California, on November 17, 2017, we began with his discussion of ways to effectively address the problem of police killings. I think there are three or four different uh, headings here which are going to be important. Uh, one of them is that we've got to do careful research on the nature of the problem and the justification for particular uses of police deadly force. Uh, Barry, up until 2017, we didn't know how many civilians uh, killed by police in the United States. We had three official statistical reports in the United States. The vital statistics the FBI, and the Bureau of Justice Statistics. All of them were between 426 and 550 civilian deaths a year. That was a pretty consistent picture. But the problem was, it also was an undercount by half. In fact, when we did crowdsourcing research, we found out that there were 1,100 deaths in 2015. And so what we're talking about is three deaths a day. Now, good statistics are absolutely necessary. And what that tells us is also something important about the problem. This isn't a few bad cops, not three a day, every day. This isn't just big cities. This isn't just criminal justice. And indeed, the people who are shot and killed in the United States 
don't look a great deal like a cross-section of criminal defendants. Most arrests are of very young people. But people under 20, who are 19% of all arrests, are only 7% of the killings that take place. And people who are 40 and over, who are less than a fifth of all the people who are arrested for anything, are more than a third of the people who are killed. So if we do an accurate job of counting, and if we do a careful job of assessing the circumstances, what we find out is that this is spread pretty evenly all across the American landscape. And that disturbance calls and mental health problems are as important as the crime and justice aspects of it uh, that we talk about. So the first thing we need is decent data. So staying within the data that we have, what are the percentages of people of various skin colors who are killed by police? Okay. Two minorities are overrepresented in killings. African Americans are 12 and a quarter percent of the American population. They're 26% of the people killed, more than twice their share of the population. That same about double is also true for Native Americans and Pacific Islanders, Samoans. That's a very important concentration. But let's look at the other side of that. The majority of killings are of white non-Hispanics. The concentration of Hispanic killing victims is exactly their proportion in the population. A lot of older white males are disproportionately victims here. And by the way, gender is even more overrepresented than race. 95% of the people who were killed by police are men. Okay, the next very important scientific work that has to be done to reduce killings by police is to very carefully do work on what threatens police lives. And this has been a real gap in law enforcement and research in the United States, which is very difficult to explain. What we found out 
is that the risks to police lives are almost exclusively firearms. And by finding that out, we have the potential to save 400 civilian lives a year in the United States without appreciably making police officers less safe. Knife assaults, blood objects, and personal force attacks are not going to kill police officers, and we can use other kinds of force and not kill civilians in those settings without putting police officer lives at risk. Uh, what are the other kinds of non-lethal force that can be used? Oh, there are tons of non-lethal force. The taser has become uh, an important part of police force. Batons, uh, partners, because remember that police, multiple police, all you've got to do, if you're alone, the first thing to do is to call a partner. That's very important. And now let me tell you, because, Barry, you were asking me uh, to what extent uh, are African Americans overrepresented uh, when police kill. And I told you that the the basic figure is 26%, that their death rate is twice their population risk. But let's get a little bit more specific here for a minute. What about situations where the person who's killed had no weapon at all? And there, uh, it turns out not to be a 26% African Americans. It turns out that African Americans are 24% of the situations um, where the police are being assaulted, according to them. But in 40% of the cases, that's much more than three times their population, where there was a killing of a person who didn't have a weapon, the dead person is an African American. So that's the kind of research that tells us how to reduce civilian deaths while preserving police safety. And it also turns out from research that we've done and report in this book that when a police officer is alone, the chances that that police officer will kill an unarmed civilian go up more than nine times. There's a much greater chance. And what that tells you, if you're a police chief, is how to save civilian lives. Because it tells you that the police chief can tell the officer 
If you're alone, withdraw and get help. And if the officer does that, there's one less dead civilian. Why is that not done? (laughs) Partly because that wasn't known before we did the statistics. What we're talking about now is the first thing we have to do is find the facts. In order to do that, what you need is about three or four million dollars of federal assistance both to police departments and to do decent research. And in order to get good data, you simply also need to require that information by law. So one of the four chapters on what do we do talks about fact-finding, and research in officer safety and the circumstances that produce civilian killings. That's the easy part. What about the criminal law? The chapter that I have on the criminal law is called Mission Impossible. At the moment, we have more than a 1,000 killings by police a year And we average one felony conviction of a police officer per year in this thousand-killing United States. Our guest is Professor Frank Zimring from the University of California Law School in Berkeley, California. This is the second of a two-part series based on his book, When Police Kill. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Frank, can you talk about just what is characterized as justifiable homicide? Well, a justifiable homicide isn't a situation where we say, by gosh, he needed to do that. But was he reasonably in some fear for his life? If so, we're going to tip the balance. But the problem that why do you get only one felony conviction a year? Well, here is the real problem with relying on criminal prosecution of police officers. First of all, there are large biases in the system. Local district attorneys who have to decide whether or not things are justified are also people who depend on police departments for all of the evidence that they use in all of their criminal prosecutions. So that's going to make things an uphill battle all by itself. But you have a deeper problem. When you use the criminal law, you are essentially saying, Officer Jones, what you did was terrible, and it's your fault. Now we come to a very difficult problem. The worse the police department is, 
the more ambiguous the standards and training that police have have received. So in the very worst police departments, Barry, blaming an individual is impossible. If it's a systemic problem, then it has to be a systemic solution. And the interesting thing about that is that if you have better rules and you you don't shoot when the individual is unarmed or running under away those circumstances when an officer ignores a clear rule it will be easier to prosecute him and so the number of police officers found criminally liable uh, will jump from one to six or seven or eight in the United States each year. And that's going to be important because police impunity is a problem. It, it makes citizens feel unvalued. But if you're worried about three civilians a day dying, if you really have found, as our research has found, that 400 civilian deaths a year are unnecessary, the criminal law is not going to be a big part of saving 400 lives a year. What is? And here is the good news. Police administration can save hundreds of lives a year. Let me give you two examples. In 1973, when Ray Kelly, who later became police commissioner in New York, was a young New York police officer, the New York City police killed 73 civilians in one year. These days, New York City police average eight or nine civilian deaths in a population of nine million. What made the change? A whole series of very specific rules. And what Chapter 11 of the book, When Police Kill, talks about are exactly what kind of rules can be formulated that will save lots of lives. There are two classes of rules. There are don't-shoot rules. Those are situations where force can be used or other means of affecting an arrest can be used or protecting the officer, but where you do not fire guns. If the civilian has a knife or a blunt object or is only physically struggling with the officer, you don't shoot. If the civilian is in a car, 
you don't shoot. If the civilian is running away and nobody's life is at risk, he's not taking a hostage with him, you don't shoot. And if those don't shoot rules are clear and are obeyed, you are talking about 400 lives a year. Then there are a second set of rules that can protect civilian lives, and those are what the book calls stop shooting rules. If you shot because you thought there was a gun or a knife, and there wasn't, stop shooting. If the person who was assaulting you is now running from you, stop shooting. Uh, If the person who was attacking you is now on the ground and not uh, a, a viable assault prospect, Stop shooting. All of these are ways of making it quite clear that the police department values civilian lives. And clear rules of that kind will, first of all, make a much bigger difference in reducing the death threats of civilians And will also make it a lot easier to prosecute police officers when they clearly ignore those clear rules. But the rules we have now say, when you reasonably believe that you are at some kind of great risk, lots of adjectives, lots of second-guessing. Not much clarity. Of course you can't use the criminal law there. Well, Professor Frank Zimmering, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask some questions about you. And in addition to the three questions I always ask, I'd like to ask you, since we've been friends since elementary school, what drew you to uh, devote your career to this section of the law? Because I do remember when you and I were in high school, a conversation that we had in which we both agreed that we wanted to become lawyers. Well, uh, uh, a lot of that is, of course, family. Um, uh, My mother passed the California bar and briefly and then later in life practiced law uh, in the 1930s and 1950s. And my father was a Hollywood writer who, uh, among other things, wrote Perry Mason. So in that case, I just went into the family business. Uh, But in essence, I was interested in not only law, but the criminal law, uh, because that was one of the high-stakes interactions between governments and people. What it turned out is that when I got to law school, uh, I found out that 
I wouldn't be a very good lawyer. Uh, I didn't have the, the sort of intestinal fortitude for it. But that I would be a good researcher. And I got interested in the use of empirical methods to assess criminal justice policy. Uh, and I just enjoy doing it. Well, that may have answered my next question, which is, uh, can you tell us about a eureka or an aha moment that changed your life? Well, yes, I can. Uh, I was uh, 22 years old. And I was in the middle of my first year in law school at the University of Chicago. And my criminal law professor asked me into his office and handed me a proposal that he had just sent to the Ford Foundation to create something called the Center for Studies in Criminal Justice at the University of Chicago. And he said, how would you like to work for this? And I looked up at him and I said, you mean people get paid to do this? Of course. <laughs> and uh, Frank, what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Well, I mean, uh, I hate to sound like poor Johnny One Note, but um, uh, I did the research and wrote when police kill uh, in my early 70s. Like all of us who are getting a lot older, Barry, uh, our greatest ambitions at this point in life um, uh, are to break even, to keep doing what we enjoy, uh, and, and, and to keep trying to produce value in the existence in the way that we pattern it. And finally, Frank Zimring, author of When Police Kill, is there a book that you can recommend to our listeners? Well, anybody who is at all curious uh, about what I do when I'm not studying death statistics, <laughs> there's a, a, a collection, Barry, of, uh, uh, of short personal essays called uh, 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 Memoranda from Midlife, uh, which I put out a couple of years ago, uh, which, which are about um, uh, essentially what are the problems of, uh, of becoming an adult in this crazy world that we live in. And uh, I enjoyed writing it, and I hope that some people might enjoy reading it. Well, Frank Zimmering, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. My pleasure. This has been the second of a two-part series, When Police Kill. Our guest is author and law professor Franklin E. Zimring from the University of California Law School in Berkeley. If you missed part one, look at radiocurious.org. The book Frank Zimring recommends is Memos from Midlife, 24 Parables of Adult Adjustment, Zimring's only non-law-related book. And finally, for full disclosure, Frank Zimring and I first met when we were in elementary school in Los Angeles, California. 
This program was recorded on November 17th, 2017. Over 630 archive editions on our website, www.radiocurious.org. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>